Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Outer Heaven, the Knives Monroe podcast. I'm your host, Knives Monroe, and we got a really, really good episode lined up for you. It's with poet Victor Parlato. You might see him at Yerberia, Cultura, Mondays at Mac Nights. You might see him Wednesdays uh, at Comedy Nights, you know, they're doing open mic there, and I know he's a poet, he's not really a comic, but he goes, and this guy's a, a very hard worker, he has a day job, just like the rest of us, and he's also a poet on the side, and he's a goddamn good one. We had a great talk, um, you know, we had a technical difficulty in the middle of it, but, you know, I, I think it's going to go unnoticed, none of you guys are really going to care, um, but go ahead and check him out, his information is in the show notes, I think uh, I think he's something that you're, you're definitely going to want to see, he's, uh, he's a trip, man, uh, we had a good talk, I, I connected with this guy the first time I saw him live at Yerbidia on some Monday a few months ago, I just connected with him, his poetry, you know what I mean, his spoken word, every time he goes, he gets better, and, uh, you know, he's a very autobiographical guy, and I really appreciated his company, so guys, uh, without further ado, this is a long episode, it's it's running on uh, 90 minutes, about the longest episode we've done so far. So I don't really want to take up too much of your time other than, you know, as you guys know, and thank you very much for listening, this episode of Outer Heaven, the Knives Mineral Podcast is brought to you in part by Flashback. Record, relive, remember, guys, don't forget. Without further ado, thank you very much for listening, and I do want to say this week's guest is going to blow your mind. It, you know, it's it's definitely not for the faint of heart. This is a rated R conversation. Um, I, this is the way I like my guests. I'm not going to lie. Anybody that doesn't really want to talk openly about sex or drug use or, you know, their battles and struggles with, you know, addiction or alcohol or anything like that. I'm not saying that because I'm some sort of sensationalist, but I appreciate someone that, that wants to be as vulnerable with me as I am with them and, and knows that there's value in honesty. And that's Victor Parlato, guys. Without further ado, this week's guest, Victor Parlato. Is it Parlato? Parlato. Parlato. I, I, it's not. It's yeah, a, 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 one of the rare last names that actually sound good Anglo. Anglo. Well, it's, like it's, gringo. It's Sicilian. Oh, right. Yeah. So that's why it, it's it goes. Parlato. Yeah, it goes both ways. It can go, it like, I don't know. It's yeah. just, it's a weird last name. Um, you Hispanic? Uh, yes. Mom? Mom and dad. My parents were both from Mexico, but my dad was from Mexico City. And my mom was from Reynosa. However, my parents' family all came from Sicily. Wow. And then they came over here. Then they all migrated back to, migrated north to the United States. And then they just stayed here. Wow. Which is Which is where my dad met my mom. Wow. In, in Sicily? No, uh, in McAllen. Oh, okay. But their parents. Their parents all yeah. came down. And That's all pretty cool. Down. You got good genes then, man. We would That's hope. diverse. Yeah. You know, um... My my father told me once that um, this is his words, not mine. But there was some nigger in me. There was some Native American, Peru, Argentine. Like he just threw a bunch of shit. I'm like, how the fuck do you know that? Like, are you even sure? You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm Hispanic. Like, I'm a light skinned Hispanic. Um, but I remember him telling me all this shit, and I was like, how do you even know? Like, what the fuck? I don't, I don't believe you. You know, I love it when people know. Oh yeah, I'm from Peru, or I'm from Colombia, or yeah. I'm from Sicily. It's like, cool. You know that. That's rich. You know what I mean? That's pretty awesome. Um, how many birthdays have you had? Uh, 25 so far. You're young. Mm-hmm. Good for you. Uh, we were talking off mic and you were saying uh, you weren't always into poetry. No. But that's your bag. You identify as a poet, mm-hmm. right? 
Um, my girlfriend identifies as a poet, as if it's like a gender. Um, she's a poet. She, you know, you should see our bookshelf. It would impress you. Um, probably five, five bookshelf, uh, five shelf bookcase. It's big. Yeah, it's very my, big. I, I had to get a five shelf. Because yeah. I had a, and I still don't even have enough room. My, my bookshelf can cover for almost a library. Because I've yeah. been collecting a lot of books ever since I started reading poetry. That's cool. I mean, half of it I haven't read. I haven't I mean, read it. I haven't read more than half. Yeah. I, so I've read like maybe a small third of it. But I'm one of those guys like I'll buy a book and I'll be like, okay, I have it. Yes. I can relax. Exactly. Yeah. See, my it's calming. A lot of my uh, past relationships didn't understand that where I would go to Barnes Noble and then they'll be like, oh, okay, we're here, whatever. I'll see a book and I pick it out. Weeks will pass by and they'll be like, have you read the book? And I was like, no. And they're like, well, why'd you buy it? It was 20 bucks. Why'd you buy it? And I was like, because I like knowing that I have the book that I was interested in. It's one of those things like no matter what happens in my life, it's there. Yeah. It's going to be there when I need it, yeah. when the time is right. Um, so you said you went to college. Yes. Did you finish? No. Okay. Still well, working. What was that about? Uh, I went to college first and this is where it got really uh, rocky for me. My high school years weren't always great. So I would always... Why not? I never paid attention in math. Okay. I would pay, like English was my 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 course. It was one one of the things I always put a lot of effort in because English wasn't always my first language. Mm. So I studied a lot of grammar, tried to really get in, in depth into the English literature and blah blah blah. And then just I said, you know what? I don't like math. So I failed math about three times. Mm. Geometry, algebra one, algebra two, failed it. Wow. And so I had to repeat sophomore year twice. Oh, and wow. so then I ended up graduating as a senior with a GPA of 1.8. Wow. No joke. No, so, I believe it. Yeah. I graduate. People think I make this up. They don't even offer this anymore. It was called the minimum pro, minimum plan or I don't know what. Yeah. It was basically for fuck-ups and retards, as yeah. uh, my friend would say. And uh, I graduated with a 69.5. Yeah. Yeah. Along with like a hundred other people at that GPA, yeah. like I barely did. No, and see the thing. But is, you, I mean, but it sounds like you tried. Yeah, because at the very end, about junior year, I was like, you know what, I need to get out of here because I'm getting tired of just sticking around here. So I was like, you know what, I'm gonna try. I ended up getting commended in the math okay. test, like okay. the whole test and everything. I ended up getting the high score in my class. So it, it wasn't for a. It's like my ambition is very handicapped by the fact that I'm lazy. Mm. And my mom hates that fact. Well, where does that come from? The, just my laziness? Or sure. The, uh, I don't know. I, I got to the root of my, my laziness. I haven't. You know, I hear, I'll tell you what it is. Maybe, maybe it'll help open something up. But uh, I, my girlfriend like, nominated me to like, do some sort of TEDx talk for McAllen. And unfortunately, I didn't get it. Actually, I, don't, I think they canceled it. They do that here? Yeah, they've done it before anyways. And uh, I think they canceled it. And... And she's like, you have to come up with a piece. You have to come up with, with a thing to talk about. And I was like, I don't have anything like that to share. But, you know, I was like going through my journal and I, and I wrote like this four page little transcript on my journal saying like, basically I got to the root of my laziness because I hate that. Like I battle with that. Mm -hmm. And then if I trace it far back enough, you know, when I was four years old, I caught my father cheating on my mom. He was sleeping with another woman. And I told my mom, I guess I ratted him out and I didn't know any better. I was like, hey mom, you know, dad's with another woman that led to their divorce. And, you know, we moved. You know, my, it was a big story. My sorry, mom, but my mom filed for bankruptcy and all that. It was rough stuff. You know, we lived on food stamps. You know, she moved back in with, uh, with her mother, my grandma, and uh, I was one of those kids that would cry and be like, "When's dad coming home? When's dad coming home?" And of course, he would never come home, and that was fine. I now I appreciate what my mom did as a parent. I'm like, that took balls, you know. Um, but it resulted in like this fear of rejection. It resulted in this fear of intimacy, this fear of like abandonment, all that cliche goodwill hunting shit, and. Um, 
So I resorted to TV mm. and I resorted to cartoons and movies. And that was like my way of like not going outside. Like, so I didn't make any friends. I didn't develop any social cues. I didn't, you know, you know, I didn't have any callus on my hands, nothing like that. So as a result, I became a couch potato. As a result, I became lazy. You know what I mean? And then this goes into middle school, into high school. And so eventually I get a job and I'm like, man, I don't want to do this anymore. Because I was like, I, it wasn't like, I hadn't had, you know, I, you know, now as an adult, 10 years later, I realized you need a dad in your life to kind of tell you, hey, God, on, get up, get out of here, like, go do something, you know, or whatever, not like, like I am with my son. And, you know, he's not a lazy piece of shit like I am and was, but I realized hey, it came from a sense of, um, like, I was trying to protect myself. My subconscious was trying to be like, hey, don't go out there. You'll, you'll get hurt, like, the way your dad left you or whatever. Same thing with relationships, you know, I'd be like, I could hang out with her, but I'd rather just stay in home in bed and just be alone. It's yeah. like I'm killing the relationship, but I'm in control. And it comes from, like, a... It comes from uh, a positive, what's the word, intent, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Uh, if you think back and hard enough, could you say you're lazy for some sort of like emotional protection or something like that? Well, I would say that writing was my coping for, my dad ended up going to prison around middle school years. We ended up moving. That's from, rough. Yeah. So we ended up moving from where I'm living right now on 29th and Pecan. We had to move all the way down south, mind you. I was going literally next door to Lincoln in middle school. I went there for a month. All my friends were there from elementary. And then that happened. Everything got switched. So I was like, okay, new, everything's gonna be new. We went to the new house. It was my grandmother's house. We were living there, you know. It, we went from a nice steady paycheck to just a thousand every month, mm -hmm. just really stretching it mm -hmm. to make sure we made it. Well, were you a single child? Uh, my brother. Okay. But my brother. Well, older or younger? Younger. Okay. But How much younger? Uh, 20, well, right now he's 22. Okay, he's so three years. years. You guys kind of yeah. grew up, same yeah. generation. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, not the same, though. Because not my, the same. My, no, my brother's very, I wouldn't want to say he's the complete opposite to me, though he is already finishing. When college. you say the complete opposite, do you mean he's transgendered, he's blonde hair, blue eyes? Uh, no. He is darker skinned than me, mm. and he has longer hair. Okay. He actually has hair. Okay. Fun fact. Gotcha. Yeah, I don't mm -hmm. have hair. I wasn't one with that gene. You close with him? Uh, yeah. We love him? Yeah. You guys live together? Yes. That's cool. Is Next, that all right? Yeah. We rarely talk to each other, but it's there. Okay, but that's because you guys are two yeah. grown-ass men. Yeah, sure. Gro two grown-ass men in, in mom's house, and just, mm -hmm. he knows what I do, he, I write, I know what he does, he's a psych, psych major, so. So, dad goes to jail for a little bit. He goes to prison. Um, prison for a while? For a while. Well, while. he likes to say a while. It was almost all the way through middle school. Okay. And so, we went, and then I ended up having to move to Brown Middle School, and that's where I became completely different, where... I used to be very hyper energetic in elementary. How old are you? At the time, I don't know how old is a six year old. I want to say about almost entering 13, 12, okay. somewhere around those. Ages. Yeah, that's rough. Yeah. That's a rough time. Yeah. yeah. So I was changing a lot because I went from being with all my friends to being at Brown Middle School where nobody knew everybody, and there was always a divi uh, division between people. Like, if you were born above uh, Expressway 83, you're north side. If you were born below the Expressway 83, you're south side. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, I was from the south side, so a lot of people from the north side would always like pick on me and blah, blah, blah. And I had friends later on in the middle school who would actually back me up, like, and, and I ended up being known as the guy who can blend in very well to the crowd. You had well, to survive. Yeah, it's it's and that and to this day I still use that as my my resume cue. Like I adapt really well mm. to people's personalities, uh, and it's a good trait, I guess. Sure. But that's 
middle school's or oh, eighth grade, eighth grade, ninth grade is when I discovered that I I love to write. Like writing was the way where I could write about what people were telling me in in middle school and in high school. So I would write short stories about people, change their names around, use every one of their stories and just make a story. And you started doing that in middle school? Yes. For fun? For fun. Okay. Because my sixth grade English teacher uh, had us all write a short story. Was she a good teacher or he? Uh, she was good. Uh-huh. Beginning, I hated her. Okay. I hated her guts. And then she brought up this whole idea like, we're all gonna write a story, it's gonna get published, and whoever wins, they're going to get a second copy for themselves, and the other copy is gonna stay at the library at Brown. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if they still have it there. But I won. I won second place. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I lost to somebody else who actually, her, her story was actually pretty great, but I don't remember it to this day. I think it was about her parents. I wrote about wizards and warlocks and mm-hmm. all this stuff, but I actually used my own name in the story because I felt like that's how I felt. It's just me against all these other people. And so I had to figure out a way to get stronger in the story. Mm-hmm. So I kept developing everything and then it just went from there. But And that's kind of your introduction to writing. Yes. My introduction to writing was always middle school. It roots back to middle school. But I always saw it as a hobby because that's how my parents always wanted to see it. It's, you're writing, but it's a hobby. Something. Did they put it down quickly? Well, when I was in high school, junior year, I told them, hey, I'm going to go into the medical field. Medical. I'm going to study to be a nurse. I thought about it thought about it and I just could never grasp the idea of me being into the a nurse or even being a doctor and so then in my senior year just before I graduated I told my parents told my mom first and then my mom was like you know what how about you hold that on till you graduate and see what you still think and then one night we were having dinner at my grandmother's house my grandmother by the way from my mom's side my dad's side is very what's that word strict she's very she wants everything to be good the Parlatos are a great family. They should be doing great things. Okay. Nothing less, nothing, you know. In kind the of military. Yeah, you have to be great. Because my grandfather owned horses. He sold horses. He bred horses. He was a horse racer. Not a horse racer, but he did sell horses to horse racers. He would get, he would... Uh, like a breeder. Mm-hmm. Wow. So he had money and he was always, he was well known, known in Mexico City. So my grandmother always wanted that for the next generation. Mm-hmm. which is my brother and myself, and then all of the other ones, my cousins. And so then one night I just said, you know what, I'm not going to be a nurse anymore. And I told that to my dad, I'm not going to be a nurse. Because she asked me, hey, are you still going to, are you still studying to be a nurse? And I said, no, I'm not. I'm actually studying to be an English major, and I'm going to be a teacher. And she goes, teachers don't get paid well. Don't go, no, 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 don't be a teacher. And so then I was like, well, I'm, I actually want to be a writer. I want to be a full-time writer. I want to teach on the side but I want to write indefinitely till the day that I that, like pass away. And my dad got at me, so he I, he's barely accepting it after eight years of me writing poetry. Wow. That I'm, he's like, okay, people are noticing, you know. And I think that's why every open mic, I always have a new poem because I feel like I can't go backwards hmm. because then if I go backwards, he's gonna see it as, why are you reading the same thing? Why have you been writing? Keep writing, keep writing. And so I guess out of... Does he follow your shit? He follows... There was one poem that I wrote about him. And he liked... He didn't like it at first. And then as he was going through all my stuff, he read a poem that he actually did like, and he folded it. And he looks at me and goes, hey, I'm going to keep this one. 
it was typed up. I'm going to keep this one. And he put it in his wallet. And to this day, he still has it in his wallet. It was a short story about a man who has done a lot of shit in his past, mistakes. He tried to redeem them by doing good things, but then the bad always ended up finding him. And he related to that, I want to think. And so he kept it in there. Mm -hmm. And I wrote a poem about that. And he was like, all right. So you're actually trying. And that's what he, I think my dad always wants is to see that I'm still trying to write. Mm -hmm. So I've just never stopped. That's, that's pretty heavy, man. Uh, let me ask you, what, what, what does a poet do today in 2016 in terms of trying to make a living? I'm sure you, you deal with that. Yeah. Um, as of right now, since I barely started doing open mics uh, last year, that's the only thing a poet can do. And then just hope that they get recognized somewhere. Of course, I've never been more of the guy, like I never go to an open mic and then expect to be recognized. I just go there to read. I read what I need to read and then I leave. I, I don't know if I think you've seen me where like, I read three poems and I'm like, okay, I'm out. Like yeah. I just book it. Yeah. Because it's just, I'm there to read to you guys. I'm there to read and then once I read, I get off. And then after I get off, there's nothing else. So I just leave. Like. I'm very apathetic towards just other people, other people. And just, I know nobody's really like, I'm just there for my reading and that's it. Like if I don't get them out, I'm not going to get them out anywhere else. So I'm actually thinking of self publishing, but by myself, mm -hmm. so I'm saving up. And then I know there's like, and see, that's the thing that bugs me is like Edward, Edward. Now Edward, he has his publishers. He, he got lucky enough to, get his public because that's the thing poets hardly ever get recognized you always hear about short story like short writers like uh, writers who write short stories writers who write novels they get recognized easier than poets because poets don't sell as much sure. they have to have a bunch of their work he's, he's found a niche where um, I don't, I, I don't, so you don't strike me as a person that's really into the Chicano stuff I tried it once I tried getting into it and then it just it didn't uh, he's found a niche where you know, it's funny. He was very, he was being very self-revealing at that book um, party the other day, and he was saying he's like, I'm not a Chicano. You know what I mean? Like my dad was from here, my mom was from there. He's like, I'm not Mexican. Or I forgot he said something like yeah. that, right? And I was like, okay, but you're playing to that audience. You know, mm -hmm. um, I thought it was business. Mm -hmm. It felt very businessy to me, right? Um, you know, I, I've started educating myself and studying a lot in business because I find it fascinating. It really gives you like a psychological edge over people, I found. And I'm always looking for that, you know. As a child, I was always like a sponge. Like I want to know more, 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 more. So if I'm ever in that room, I can stand out. Like that was just my self-defense mechanism, right? Um, have you thought about, you know, like branding, something like that in terms of for you? I mean, because Bukowski now, we, he, you know, we, he, he was there's no, a certain yeah. tone and thing yeah. that we feel he, when we he, think about him. Bukowski was unique in the way where he broke rules. Mm -hmm. See, and that's the other thing is that one of my English teachers, uh, Mr. Stanley, I think he still works at Memorial. He used to say, because um, I would write in my journal all the time back then, and I would write poems, and then I would say, hey, I'm really interested in becoming a writer, because it was during that senior year phase where I was like, you know what, I'm not going to be a nurse, I'm going to be a writer. And I wanted him to see, like, okay, can this guy write? So mm -hmm. I would actually submit my work to him, like say, hey, read mm -hmm. this, tell me what you think. Mm -hmm. And he said, I like it. Mm -hmm. The only thing is, you're trying too hard to break the rules of grammar, and you don't understand the What's rules. What's an example of that? Um, you know how a lot, well, a lot of people like to think that words are just words. You put them on the page, and you let them do the work. 
but there's actually a rhythm. Um, a cadence. A cadence, yeah, like sure. there's a little bounce to each one. And that's why a lot of my work, it goes, goes, goes. And then in my head, I don't see it no more as a full sentence. I see it as a sentence and then cut it, go to the next part. Cut it, go to the next part. And I just see that and I bounce it, bounce it, bounce I see the strong words, I leave them at the end. And then I move on to the weaker ones in the bottom. And then I leave the strong one again and I keep going and going. Did you learn that or was that instinctual? Uh, I want to say I studied it a lot. Spent a lot of time experimenting, seeing how it worked. Uh, I, stu I experimented with first person, second person, third person point of view. I experimented a lot with uh, free writing poetry, alternative poetry, um, Shakespeare poetry. And I just tried to see, I tried to find a middle to all of it. Like all that and then just find, okay, I'm good with this. Because a lot of people think poetry is rhyming. You, you cannot go up there and not rhyme. Mm -hmm. You have to go up there and dance with the crowd. You have to make them, you know, bring them in. My method is I want to make them dance, but I want them to realize that what I'm reading is more towards real life, that I'm not afraid of saying the word fuck, right. cunt, mounted. Like I remember uh, Matt, Matt, Mark, the host from Sinel Ray, mm -hmm. he loved that I just made up a word, feather kiss pussy. And he was like, I'm going to use that for the rest of my life now because I don't know where you came up with that, but that was great. And I was like, because I like using words that cause uh, a reaction mm -hmm. out of people. Mm -hmm. Brings them in and says, okay. And, and see, the moment that I hear somebody laugh, I know that poem did its job. Mm -hmm. I, like, I guess you could say, because like, when I first started doing the open mics, it was uh, Marks at Sinel Rey. I didn't start at Yelberia. I started at Sinel Rey, and Sinel Rey is known for the comedy crowd. So I told Mark, Mark, I would love to do poetry. And he goes, oh, in his mind, thought poetry is going to be dark. It's going to be very morbid. Mm. Let me put him at the end. You know, let me see what he's about. And so I read one of my first early poems, which was the big one. And it's about an ex of mine who used to have a fascination to popping pimples on my back. Mm -hmm. And so one night we were hanging out and she just popped, popped. And I was like, I'm going to write about that and see what comes out. Wrote about it and it, everybody was laughing everybody and I was like yes that's do you know why I'm they were laughing yeah why it was ridiculous it was a ridiculous story because it's it's true to some people but it's some also very intimate yeah it's very personal I mean everybody has these little things little idiosyncrasies that people have that they don't reveal in public so when a poet does that or a stand-up does that it's like ah oh, that's it's good this guy's telling me something that I can't talk about and they live vicariously through your bravery no I want to there's a couple of poets right now who I've been trying to tell them, you know, like Freddie, you know, get more intimate with your writing. Who's Freddie? Freddie Havoc. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, he's, he's very intimate. Yeah. I mean, I, I, that guy amazes me every single time. I, I, he comes up with new shit yeah, all the time. I, I remember I told, like, when I first started doing the poetry, I was the only one. I was the only poet, and I would go up there, and I would read what I need to read, and then he showed up. And, I, and he's like, you really made it, so I want to write poetry oh, again. Wow. So I was like, great, do that. And now there's another guy. And like I said, I go to the poetry readings with Edward, and there's a lot of poets, but I never see them at the open mics. Oh, yeah, I know. But they, they're, I mean, I'll tell this yeah. to their face, because I, I know them pretty well. You know, they come to my baby, my daughter, my girlfriend's baby shower and shit. So um, I respect them, but they're careerists, you know, like they have jobs. They have nine to five jobs. So they can't go out on an open mic, be, open mic because they have to work in the morning. Is yeah. I'm sure have, has a lot to do with their, and, their and life. No, and, and not only that. And I, I'm not making an excuse for them, but I, I yeah. guarantee you that's what it is. No, and a lot of things. A lot so of, they're getting their significance through their job. Yeah, you know what I mean. And see, a lot of things. Um, 
I like to think, see, I used to work for HEB before I got fired and you know, I moved to another job. I've and heard now, that in your work. Yeah. And then I moved to another job as a banker. Can't say where, because mm -hmm. the bank, I told them off the bat in the interview, like, hey, I, I write poetry. They're like, oh, okay, that's great, whatever. And I was like, but wait, it's very vulgar. It's about my life, you know. Uh, I promise I'll never use the bank's name in my work, but I will mention that I am a banker. And they're like, okay, just as long as you don't use the bank's name. Because they don't want to ruin their reputation or whatever. Like, sure. if I would try to write about it's Bank of yeah, America. It's a bit, uh, Just kidding. <laughs> and so I, then, I used to work. And then uh, I, I understand a lot of poets because, like, I was I was getting into where this guy I barely met him, and he has a lot of great work, but he says I don't want to get up there like you do because I'm afraid of what people are going to say about me because I'm afraid they're going to think, oh, this guy's very suicidal, or oh, hey, this guy's very, you know, he has. Uh, a lot of anger, a lot of frustration, a lot of dark intent with his writing. Like, you know, they're gonna start asking questions. And I was like, don't be afraid of that. I'm, I've read from the good, from the worst, to me being a womanizer. And, you know, people, I, and I still say this to all my like, current girlfriends, or like, whenever I do get a girlfriend, I tell them, like, look, I write off the bat. I write. I'm a poet. And they're like, oh, okay, you write poetry. Great. And I'm like, yes. That means that for you, you might become part of my work because I write about my life. I don't write about oh, religion. I don't write about politics. I actually stray away from politics because then that becomes very iffy and then you have this and that. And like, I, it's not that I couldn't write about politics. It's just I'm very apathetic. I really don't care about politics, you know, one way or another. Religion the same way. And I actually told a lot of people like this guy came up to me. And he's like, hey, why don't you write about religion? Why don't you write about you know, the good stuff, like the stuff that really matters in this day. And I'm like, okay, I'll write about it. And I wrote a poem about it. And in that poem, I just said, I really don't care. I don't have religion. I don't have a, a political view on anything. Uh, if you ask me about Trump, I could care less. You know, if you ask me about Hillary, I could care less. If, if Bernie Sanders could care less. I mean, we're, we're all very gossipy, so it doesn't really matter what anybody says, because eventually they're just saying it just to get you know, something out. That's how people... I, I guess you don't really write about like your opinion as much as you do your experience or your perspective, which they're, is different because that is, that's yours. And the only thing I ever do write about, which is only interesting for me, is the open mics. I write a lot about the people who show up to the open mics. I write a lot about people who don't want to do the open mics mm -hmm. because I want them to do the open mics. I want there to be more poets than comedians. I want there to be a balance between the two. Because when you hear, oh, there's a comedy show and an open mic, no, I want it to be, there's an open mic and there's comedians and there's musicians and there's poets, but poets, there's like a few too many, like, they're, they're but I would I would say it, it's pretty, it's, it's getting them. Yeah. Uh, we, I mean, there's a great poet, poet community here. Yeah. The, they never show up. They never show up to the open mics. Yeah, no. They, they, but they have their own poetry, yeah, international they, poetry. They festival. do. They do. And I showed up to it and it was great. It was kind of a, in my opinion, very like gut-wrenching and like sickening because you see all these poets just exchanging words and you know inside their head because you you can never meet a poet if you're if you like if you ever written poetry and then you meet another poet and they're like hey I have this new work can you read it for me tell me what you think you can't pick it up and go oh, okay it's great man don't worry about it it's great read it mm -hmm. without at least hating them a little bit why because, I mean of course but why yeah because <laughs> because either they're really bad at it mm -hmm. or they used you know they're or they're really good at it and you hate them. yeah either way you're gonna end up like 
resenting the fact that wow this guy's actually pretty good like you know don't you think that's kind of a catch-22 it's sort of a paradox where you're like i want to see more of them come out but if they show me their work fuck them well see and see that's the thing when edward when i first met edward at a reading i forget which one it was i think it was it was a very special one i yelled but yeah it was like a couple months ago i met him had never heard his work had never read his work and he went up there and he dominated the audience mm -hmm. not the stage the audience mm -hmm. he he brought them in and so before if you had seen me up there before i saw him go up there i used to have a very monotone voice i would listen to a lot of open mics in my head like i would like put on my itunes um just download a lot of charles Bukowski readings a lot of uh, hemingway a lot of you know stuff like that and then i would try and read it and then see okay i need to find a voice but i need to make it my voice so i need to figure out how i can make my own voice without sounding monotone anymore and i couldn't find it my friend will always say your work is great but your voice isn't you go up there and you don't read what you're writing you read what you think you're writing like there's no emotion to it mm -hmm. you're thinking too hard about putting an emotion mm -hmm. and you're not letting the words just come out mm -hmm. And so I saw Edward, and ever since then I was like, I his voice, I like his voice, and see that's I think that's where like um, musicians they hear a song and they're like, okay, I can play it on tune, I can play it right on my guitar, but for a poet, you hear another poet and you're like, I want that voice. Mm -hmm. How can I make that my voice? So then you start playing with your own voice. You say, okay, I want to make it sound similar, but not exactly like his. Let me ask you something. If poetry is a vehicle that's going to take you to some sort of destination. What is that destination? Immortality. Okay. Is that what it is? Yeah. From, from Why is that important to you? Because it's important to a lot of us to, yeah. um, to live outside our mortal yeah. coil. But my, why, is that, why is immortality important to you? I guess because ever since I was a kid, it was just put into my head where a parlato has to have some sort of grounding to this planet. They have to have some sort of legacy. And... I guess that's why they wanted me to be a doctor because if you're a doctor you're always going to be known for great things you know yeah there's on paper anyways. yeah on paper they look nice because doctor Barlato, oh great he was a great guy he was a doctor he had a phd but for a writer you know you can spend like charles bukowski he spent his entire life working at a post office for 50 years 50 odd years mm -hmm. before um I forgot his name john john something came up to him and said, hey, I like your stuff, you know, I want you. Um, but the... We're good. Sorry, I just have to say uh, technical difficulties, but we're back. It doesn't matter. And now off mic, we're talking about... Um, sex. Putting sex, it in the wrong yeah. hole. Putting it in the wrong hole. And yeah. the, and I mean, they're so close together. Yeah, they're really close together. And see, and at the very end of the poem, I put, women are like Swiss cheese. And everybody loved that. Hmm. But it was, they liked it because it's something that they can relate to. So what does that mean? The women are like Swiss cheese. They have a lot of holes. The guys have a lot of holes gotcha. too. So, so. Gotcha. No, that's true. We have a few, we have almost the same amount of holes. Yeah. Minus one or two. Mm. Depends who you ask. Some of the dicks are more... The dick hole counts. Dick hole. hole. Dick hole counts. Yeah. I don't know if it's a practical use, but it's there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's some people that, you know... Um, I knew a guy once they, in they high school... They put things in their dick hole. I don't know if you're listening, Patrick, but I knew a guy who took a bobby pin... Really? And he put it inside his little pee hole. One, like little, the, the, both of them. Yeah, no, the, the whole thing. And he pierced it. Like he went in, took mm -hmm. it out, and then locked it like a little bobby pin. Mm -hmm. And he just did that. He, was, he loved to pierce his skin in class. And he pierced his dick. He pierced his dick, pierced his balls. 
and pierced I, the testicle or the scrotum? The scrotum. That's a big difference. Yeah, he he left there, zipped up, and then just left it like that the entire day. Wow. You know why they called him Patrick? Oh, they called him Patrick Star. Mm. That was he, that was not his last name, but mm-hmm. that's why they called him that because he had a star, the punk star tattoo here on his neck. Mm. So they just always called him Patrick Star, and he was very short. So I was like, he was shorter than me, which is weird. Well, how, I, how tall are you? Five, 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 four. That's cool. Yeah. Do you, do you have some sort of Napoleon complex? Uh, kind of like compensating. I I dated I at very early on I dated a woman that was six one. Cool. Six six one, and we were. It was very. It was very. I I guess at that moment I never thought about my height as a problem until I dated her, mm-hmm. and then we would be in bed and cuddle, and that's when I realized I'm I can't, I'm not much of a cuddler because I don't know how to cuddle. I always just hold them and that's it. And now I know how to cuddle. Which, how do you cuddle? You're supposed to put their head on your chest. Oh. But see, since she was so tall, it was my head on her chest. Right. But and that's I, beautiful. That's like some avatar. I felt like a child. Yeah. It, to her in her arms, I feel like wow. I feel like a little kid. I, okay. I, I haven't been held like that in a long time, mm-hmm. so I felt very like, um, what's that word? Uh, I, not in, inferior. I feel very inadequate. No, there's it's the opposite of dominant. Um, submissive. Submissive. Mm-hmm. I feel very submissive because I'm very I'm very dominant in the fact that you know I cuddle. I like you know I'm I guess it's because I'm a control freak. Mm-hmm. I like everything being somewhat perfect, but at the same time very chaotic. My room's always a mess. But at the same time, it has an order to it. Mm-hmm. And I used to always get upset with my ex-wife because I would, she would come in and she would try cleaning up. I'd be like, no, don't move anything. It's so when it's your ex-wife, you guys got legit married? We got legit married back in... Because down here in the valley, a lot of people say, that's my wife. Yeah, no. Even though it's like common law. Or... Uh, we, got, we were dating for a while. I don't like, you know, we just recently sealed the deal on our divorce uh, yesterday. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, that's what the judge told me as well. He goes, well, congratulations, you're not divorced. And I was sure. like, all right, buddy, great. I don't know. I And then I started thinking why they wait a whole year before they finalize a divorce. Why? Because they think a divorce is just, oh, because when you get separated, like when you say, hey, you're, you know, we're not going to work out, I'm going to move out. That's the separation period. For a court, for them to say, hey, you are divorced, that is finalized. So they don't want us to say, hey, we're divorced, and then later on be like, no, we're going to get back together. You of know, course, yeah. They don't want to do double the work, so they're like, you know what, wait it out a year. You know, They don't tell you that in person, but that's what I feel. Mm-hmm. They, they make you wait an entire year to see what happens. Are they going to get back together? Are they not? Maybe they will get back together. And at the very end, when they're like, okay, they're here at the courtroom, they're not going to get back together, that's why at the very bottom they say, are you guys going to get back together? Yes or no? And they have to. we both have to say no. And if we both say no, it's like the opposite of saying I do, and then that's it. All right, finalize. <laughs> or it's like saying I do. Yeah. Again, I do want to get divorced. Yeah, I do want to get divorced. But I yeah. think before uh, we had these technical difficulties here, uh, I think we left off on, and I just want to touch back up on it. Um, you know, when you're in a relationship with somebody or you work with somebody and you talk about them and your work. You know, uh, I'm a screenwriter. I've been writing screenplays for 12 years. And whatever happens in my life, you know, I set off mic, I believe, if it's not autobiographical, it's plagiarism. So... Um, ex-girlfriends, friends, relationships, you know, wet dreams, whatever it is, it's all kind of relative and it's all going to be art anyways and it's all subjective. So I kind of feel like I have a creative license and I don't think it's, I don't really, it's, it's rare when I'll ask someone like, hey, can I, can I put you here? It's, I probably have never done that, um, but you, you have a similar experience with that still regularly on a daily basis with your poetry. Yeah, um, I have a lot of um, 
for example, I have a friend who always goes to my readings. I, you know her, Maddie. Mm -hmm. She. You guys aren't a thing. No. No, no, no. There's no potential for that. No. Uh, She's I, just a friend. Just a friend. I, cool. I make it a rule not to date my best friends. Okay. A very strict rule because I did that once and it got really awkward. Didn't talk for two years. Um, sorry, Ellie. And so then now we're getting back into the rhythm like okay her and i are okay again but as mm -hmm. friends sure. and so with maddie you know there was a potential like there was feelings but then i realized she i don't think she's going to be okay with me and my writing or maybe you know in the long run i don't see it happening because i've known her for too long mm -hmm. for me i like to get to know i don't know i guess i'm just not really good at relationships okay. i i've been in and out of good ones bad ones that at this point, I believe either everybody's lying to me or everybody's telling me the truth, but then there is no middle. There's either you're lying or you're telling me the truth now. Because, hmm. you know, I... It sounds like you really know how to pick them. Yeah, more so or less. I mean, I, I, I'm old school. I think, um, I think, and I've had my fair share of terrible ones, but relationships are... It's a place where you should go to give yourself, to mm -hmm. give something, not get something out of it. Well, see, my... my I remember... My first girlfriend, after I got divorced, or after I got separated, I dated her for a while, and she was very picky. Never met a, a picky woman. I met picky women, but I've never met a woman that would like try and change my writing. I, I would write a poem and she'd be like, mm, maybe try this, maybe try that. And I was like, okay. So I changed it a little bit, blah, blah. And then I'll be like, oh, I'm gonna write a poem about you. You should probably go to my open mic. And she's like, don't write about me. Like, don't, don't do that. And I was like, all right, I'm not gonna write about you. And so I started realizing I'm listening too much of her opinion, but she's not really giving me any, like, I'm changing myself too much for her, and she's not giving me anything back. So then that's where I just kind of realized I'm just backtracking. I'm not moving forward anymore because mm -hmm. I'm just going back to what I used to do. And that's the reason why my marriage didn't work out in the beginning, because I wanted to write about a lot of stuff but my ex-wife, but I couldn't because I felt like I was doing something wrong. In the same. I essentially felt like I was doing a sin writing about my ex-wife because it was something private. So I, I spent months without writing. Mm -hmm. So now, I, a lot of people ask me, well, who's Bella? Yeah, that's who, like your muse right now. Yeah, who in the fuck is Bella? I've been getting that question every day when I first started working at the bank, they would ask me, who's Bella? Why do you keep writing to Bella? Is she a woman? Is she your love interest? Who is she? And I was like, no, she doesn't exist. Bella does not exist in this plane, in your plane, in any plane. <laughs> she is essentially just a muse, somebody that I can talk to, that in my journal, if I put her name, I put a comma and I go down and I start writing to her. I am telling her my story. You know, I don't have to tell anybody else my story. I'm essentially writing for Bella. That's why if you go on my Facebook, if you see my description, I don't tell anybody about myself because I know my poems are going to say that for me. Mm -hmm. I just put, I write for Bella. I'm not going to write for anybody else. So a lot of people think, oh, you're dating that girl. You're going to write a poem about her, right? And I'm like, yes, I'm going to write a poem about her, but I'm not going to write for her. Because mm. people leave. People change. When you ground yourself to something that's not constant or something that's not going to stay the way it is, mm -hmm. you're not going to stay the way it is. You're always going to try and adapt to that. You're gonna, your happiness is going to rely on them still being there. So that's why when I would write, when I would, when I was married, I went to a period where I didn't write for a long time, months. I didn't write because I wasn't happy. I couldn't write about my ex-wife, and I couldn't write to anybody else because I didn't have anybody to write to. I didn't have Bella at the time, so I was like, you know, I'm just gonna not write then. And I got really sick of it. I got sick of not being able to write. 
So I realized, you know what, if the muse is like a seed and the tree is what comes out from that seed and it's supposed to be strong and powerful, eventually you're going to have to cut the tree down, start new, make a new fucking tree. But the seed is still going to be there. That whole idea, the muse is not going to change. That seed is still going to be getting the roots out and making that another tree. But if you rely on like, if I put my faith on a person, like let's say if I get married again or if I have a girlfriend and I say, you know what, I'm going to write to you now. I'm going to write for you, you know, and that person leaves, then I'm just going to go back into where like, well, what the fuck am I writing for then? So then I had to find a middle, something that amused, a medium. So I took it a step further and I was like, you know what, if I'm going to write for Bella, I need to remind myself that I am writing for somebody that isn't here. Because it is very easy for me to say, oh, I'm going to get in a relationship and I'm going to write poems for her. But then I get into that mind from like, I'm writing for her and I don't want that. So every time I write, I have this ring on. And this ring, if you look at the inside, it has the words Bella encrypted in it, uh, sketched, not sketched, uh, engraved. engraved. And um, I picked the hardest metal of ring mm. for them to engrave. And they said, well, we don't know if it's going to engrave the name into the ring. And I go, try. I don't care if you have to put it in three times, four times. I'll pay the extra money because I want it to look like this is how hard my dedication to my writing is. It's... Mm stronger than titanium something that nobody can break you know this metal is actually stronger than titanium mm. and for them to engrave it is not easy so they had to keep engraved it's been like a month trying to get the name in there and they finally got it wow. and a lot of people ask me like i don't think you can engrave triton and i'm like yeah you can but i made it possible because that's what i want people to know is that i am putting the effort into my work and nobody's going to be able to break that from at any point like and I am I don't know if you were there for a reading one time I read a poem and this woman I remember her, I, don't, I remember her face she there goes her con sometimes at times she had these green eyes and you know we hit it we didn't hit it off but we like talked for a while and then one night I guess she didn't like a poem of mine and as I was reading it she was shouting you suck you suck get off the stage Boo. was she a heckler like yeah, some drunk she, she, yeah she was just heckling and so you know, I'm still reading through that. I'm like, okay, I'm going to keep reading. Next week, though, I wrote a poem about her. <laughs> and ever since then, everybody was like, see, that's why I don't think a lot of people want to tell you anything. Because they know mm. the moment they do, they're going to become a poem. And you'll have a point to that poem. Mm -hmm. Like, a lot of the comedians, they like to think that they have the power in the open mics. And some of them do. Because if you go to open mics downtown, there's no poets. If you go to Yelbria, there are now musicians. Which is great. And then you, every once in a while you see some of the new poets. Um, Andrea. Mm -hmm. uh, I actually know two that are starting to show up. Um, I forgot her name. She has a word. Gay, gaily? Gaily? Something like that. And she's actually thinking of starting to do poetry. And I'm like, great. That's what I want. Because I want there to be a community of underground poets mm -hmm. that haven't really touched the surface of their success. You know? And... Again, success for me, it could mean selling a book, but not getting published. Mm -hmm. You know, I essentially, if nobody notices me in 50 years, then that's great, whatever. I'm not, I'm, but I'm still going to keep writing. Mm -hmm. I'm going to publish a book on my own then. Like, that's what I'm actually working towards right now. I'm saving up cash so I can self-publish under my own name and then sell them, you know, here locally. Mm -hmm. But I feel like every poet should at least strive for immortality in their work because that's what's going to carry on later on, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like Bukowski one time said in his autobiography, um, 
in the very beginning of the movie, in his autobiography, he said, you guys all came too late. You know, I was, I was in my 20s writing poetry, sending it off to these dirty magazines, to these Time magazines, to all these, you know, New York Times. Nobody wanted them, you know. Now I'm 80-something years old. I'm at the very end of my life. And now you guys are here with cameras and mics to my face asking me how my life is. But you guys are too late. I don't care anymore if I'm famous. I don't care if you guys notice me. So then he would just drink on mic. He would drink and he would do all this. And at that time, I think he had already finished or he was working on the book Women, which is a good book. I would recommend it. Mm -hmm. I I think we have it. Yeah? Yeah. Um, My girlfriend actually has a tattoo that says that there is no other way and there never was. Oh, really? Yeah. It's hardcore. I kind of want to get it like... Like we have a matching thing, yeah. but I don't want the, I don't want to ruin that for yeah. her. But I think it's awesome. Yeah, um, One of the greatest Bukowski things out there. The Bukowski's women is inspiring to say the least. It's if you know the backstory to it, um, he was actually dating at the time Linda Linda King, I believe. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah, and he was dating her at the time, and in the interview, he uh, he they asked Linda, "How did you deal with him doing all this stuff with women?" And she said, "I didn't." I said, hey, go do what you got to do, mm-hmm. you know, get your material and I'll be here. But until then, don't come back to me. And then once you're done with that, once you're done fucking with all these, you know, hood rats, come back and then we'll start from there. And they ended up getting married, but he had to do his thing. He wanted to get That gather. takes an incredible yeah. woman to say he, that. He, wa- he wanted her, she wanted him to get the material. He, she wanted him to finish that book and then yeah. from that, come back. But she didn't realize how much the toll of being with a lot of women emotionally giving yourself up to all these women mm-hmm. you know and, I, and there was actually an interview in the movie where the guy said hey how do you feel knowing that everybody thinks you're a womanizer you know you bring all these women to bed with you and they're just like you know they're objects. not objects to you they're sex objects and he and he looked at the guy and he said you got that from reading my book you think i didn't feel anything towards the stuff that i was writing you didn't read about the parts where I was there crying, driving alone in the street, waiting in the rain for a woman to come out, giving out my poems for free to these women because I thought that's what they wanted. It wasn't about the sex. It was about building relationships that I couldn't when I was younger because I was, in his opinion, he thought he was ugly. Mm-hmm. He had all this acne and he, was, you know, he wasn't a good looking person. And so he said, all these women came to me now because they wanted to become poems. Some of them even showed up like, hey, I want you to fuck me and turn me into a poem. And he didn't know how to respond to that, so he just did what he had to do. And that's why the book Women really, it's, I would like to think it's a continuation to Love is a Dog from Hell. Because mm. Love is a Dog from Hell is about him being in relationships that didn't work out. And the, how, how much do you say you uh, romanticize the lifestyle of a poet? Because I feel like that's a big part of it for everybody, for every poet, no? When, when, you, when you talk to a musician, musicians, they say, hey, they want the rock lifestyle. Some of them do, yeah. and that's they, fine. They, they, yeah. Uh, when you talk to a writer, uh, you know, somebody who writes novels, some of them like the fact that they'll be in their room just sitting alone writing. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people think, oh, he's a poet. He's probably in his room a lot writing. And yeah, half the time I'm in there jerking it drinking at night, drinking a lot, uh, smoking cigarettes, you know, writing in my journal, listening to music. Mm-hmm. Half the time I'm not doing shit, and then half the time I'm just watching YouTube videos. Is that romantic? Are you romantic towards the smoking, uh, the jerking, I, 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 I feel like that's just me being myself. Really? But a lot of people that come in and see me, they're like, 
wow, this guy has the poet lifestyle. But sure. every poet is different. Yeah. For some poets, you know, they want, they don't drink, they just write about this. Or, you know, some poets don't do certain things that a poet does. I think people from the outside see a poet and they're like, wow, that's romantic. It's like the Joker and Harley Quinn syndrome. Sure. Where like the Harley Quinn sees the Joker and sees, wow, this guy's really damaged. I want to be with him, uh -huh. you know? Uh -huh. But then for the Joker, it's just natural. It just, you know, I'm like this naturally, yeah. but they see it as romantic. So for me, me being naturally in my house, you know, I'm there doing my own thing. That's normal to me. You know, it'll be another thing if I sit there and I'm like, oh, I'm writing in the dark with a candle lit and some classical music playing on sure, the side. Sure. That that's to me, you. that but that's not me. I like playing music. Maybe I'm projecting a little bit because I remember um, growing up on screenwriting, writing screenplays, you know, it's a completely different form than poetry and everything. Um, but I would look at some of my heroes and I'd be like, they smoked, they drank, you know, they, they didn't sleep. So therefore, that's what I got to do to get there. And I would do it, but it didn't work out for me. That's no. that, that wasn't me, you know. And I and I did it, and I came out with work. And I was like, eh, that wasn't for me. And and now I have a much more, I'm just more me about it. Yeah. And it's not as glamorous and cool and sexy and as romantic. But now it's like, you know, I got kids, so it's like if I got two hours to spare, I'm gonna do much more in those two hours than I ever did in two weeks before I had kids. And um, you know, I had to let go of what I thought the lifestyle was mm -hmm. because it was bullshit like that doesn't fucking matter yeah. when you're in your early 20s you're, you kind of think that's what it is because it's some sort of significance of, of like well i gotta be a poet or i gotta be a screenwriter because i'm, I'm living that life yeah. you know part of the reason why i volunteered to be homeless and go out there and everything was because i was like oh the struggle was part of it mm -hmm. as opposed to being more calculated and thinking long game thinking long term and thinking what can i do that that, that benefits the work that benefits the business that puts me out there mm -hmm. I couldn't even think in that regard, you know? And now I've kind of shifted my heroes a little bit. I still have the heroes that I grew up with, but now it's kind of also like entrepreneurs and how they maximize their resources. I know that sounds very businessy, but they have a little bit of stuff, but now they get the most out of those little lemons that they had, as opposed to trying to, you know, be something that they're not. Um, everything that you're saying, you're saying yeah. that that is completely authentic see, to you? See, and I like to say, and I'm going to say it on camera because a lot of people think, you know, he would never admit it. Everything I write, it's like a grain of fiction with a grain of nonfiction. You know, I put the two together and I find something good. Um, you can't write about drinking if you haven't blacked out at least once or twice. I want you to finish your thought, but what is romantic about writing about drinking? You know what I'm saying? The writing about the drinking, it's more of just experience. It's like there are things you can't write about because you've never experienced it. So like there was a time where, you know, I started drinking. But what comes first? The the thing that I want to write about, the identity that I want to associate with that or the subject material? Like what thing is it? Like let's say you want to write about, I want to be, you know, the womanizer interests me, but I need to be a womanizer in order for me to authentically write about that. Um, so do you feel like I got to put on that hat to go write about that? I feel like you have to put on the hat even if you're not the man under okay. that hat. Okay, so I, I guess I respect that, and I don't think there's one or a right way or wrong way to do something. There's only your way. But what I respect about that is there's sort of a a, a method actor approach to that. Mm -hmm. There's if I'm going to play this character where I'm uh, 
uh, an oilman, then I'm going to go get the shovel and I'm going to dig holes and I'm going to fucking get oil. Yeah. You know, or if I'm going to play the, the role of a boxer, I'm going to go out there and get into some fights. You know what I mean? Is that what you're doing? Yeah. Uh, and it, see, that kind of method started because in, as, when I started going to SCC, um, I started and again, I started drinking when I was about 19. It was right after uh, high school. I just got out of a relationship and my dad, he was outside waiting outside his house with some friends and he goes, hey, come over here, you know, some say hi to your, uh, some of my friends. And he noticed that I was upset and he said, you know what, sit down, have some like some drinks. I'll give you some pucana with some mineral water. Did some, you get? Oh yeah. So I drank and I drank. And so then I wrote a poem about it the next day. I wrote a poem about how it felt to drink, how much it hurt the next day, the, the, the gut, how it made like my insides hurt. Like I've never blacked out before to alcohol because I've never drank before. And so then one day I'm in college, I'm sitting outside and I'm writing a poem and I'm writing about this guy in front of me smoking a cigarette. But again, I, I'm just writing about him. I leave and then I try for, for, like, putting in my head, how does it feel to write about smoking? So I started writing, but I was like, I'm not experiencing it. I don't know how it feels to have a cigarette between my fingers and put it between my lips and look at it and smoke it and have the smoke burn your eyes. Nobody can experience that unless they pick up a cigarette, smoke it at least once, and then feel that burning smoke in their eye. And then like, they're just making faces because there is a point where like you're smoking a cigarette, you have it dangling and then that smoke hits your eye and you're like, it burns, but you get used to it. And then there's that nicotine rush that comes afterwards that you're just like, you know, lightheaded. And if you don't do it, you can't write about it. Do you, you feel like it's the poet's responsibility to feel everything? Experience everything. Mm. Experience everything at least once. Because mm. then you can long, in the long run, write about it. Would you ever make love to a man? No. Why but not? I, not into it. But I mean, just to get the material. Fuck no. What's something that like you're like, I, I don't want okay. to do that, but I would give it a chance. Uh, there was this one orgy party that I was invited to. Uh, fun story, a couple years back. Uh, in McAllen. In McAllen. Of course, uh, all, all the orgies are in McAllen. Yeah, well, it was close to McAllen. It was on Business 83 and Glasscock. Ooh. Which, by the way, I didn't know Glasscock was a street at the time. That's so right. I thought they were fucking with me. Yeah. I get there, and it was an actual street called Glasscock, and it was in the apartments. And it was a three-story apartments outside. And, you know, I was, at first Did I was... Did you need a password? No. Okay. But it was kind of fishy. It was kind of very shady because first row, empty, you know, people were ready to sleep. Second row, that's where the party was at. And then the third row, there was this one guy sitting outside with two babes next to him, just doing coke, drinking outside of his apartment complex, just there sitting. And I was just there, okay, it's that kind of place. Go up to the second floor, I get in, and there are... I think it was four guys and five girls. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the guys was engaged to one of the girls and he was playing DJ hero at the time because that was popular. And the girl, uh, I remember, I'm not gonna say her name, sorry, but I remember her because she caught my attention the first, like when I walked in, she was very pretty. She had this like autumn hair, like she was very, very skinny. She was very like, you know, she had, a, like, she, she was great. She, mm -hmm. she had this like hostess, kind of a vibe coming mm -hmm. from her. And so I get in there, I see these guys with a fucking ski, like a ski and cocaine in front of them. And they're like, hey, Vic, do you want to do a ski a ski line? And I go, no, nah, man, it's all right, it's cool, whatever, I'm not gonna do it. And I just see them, they're just doing the whole ski line, like little, sh like little 
snorts every once in a while and I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool. I wouldn't do it. I know I'm supposed to experience it, but mm. now I'm experiencing the, how it feels to look at them doing it. Mm. So then now that's when I have to switch it into another mode and be like, okay, I'm the observer mm. watching them. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I'm observing that woman that's looking at me. And then there was a point where, you know, he's playing the game and I'm like, hey, I need to go to the restroom. She takes me to the restroom and lo and behold, we start making out in the restroom. And that to me felt very intimate. But mm-hmm. at the same time, like I started feeling this fear because of the guy there in the other room. So now I saw another point of view. Like now I have more material to write about this one night. So then that was the second thing. Third thing. Third thing was I went up to the third floor and I started talking to this guy, you know, two chicks, uh, they looked out of it and this guy was just really wired. He was like very like happy and blah, blah, blah. And we're just talking about life and this and that. And so now I got that, but I never experienced how it felt to do cocaine. And I don't think I ever could, but at the same time, I could say that about, you know, Bukowski was very abusive towards his women sometimes. And I don't think I could ever experience that either. Because in my lifestyle, when I was a child, I experienced that, but from the observing point of view, where I saw my parents fight, mm-hmm. but my dad was the one that took it a step further. Mm-hmm. So I always adjusted to that where I was like, I'm not a fighter. I could probably fight somebody, but I wouldn't be able to because I would feel horrible about it. Mm-hmm. I can't even fit like raise my voice to somebody without me thinking about it later on and saying, I made that person feel bad. Mm-hmm. you know. So then I take after my mother in that sense where like, I, ob- I observe everybody, I listen, and I never show that I'm angry or upset. It sh- maybe sometimes shows on my face, but I never express it. Mm-hmm. And that's where writing, I can express it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes more so than others. And you know, I've stepped on people's shoes before because of it. You know, I got kicked out of the Flying Warriors because this guy thought I was writing about his girlfriend. He was one of the hosts. Were you? Uh, no, he thought I was because- Were you really though? Kicked out? No, but were, did you really write about his girlfriend? Kinda? No. Was it aimed at him? Nope. Just all projecting. On it, I used I used a woman that I had met at a bar, but I, I didn't know her name, so I just described her, yeah. and she fit the bill. Sure. She had coffee skin. Again, mm-hmm. very, you know, everybody has That's coffee. 80% of and the it, women here. She had black hair. Again, she had black hair, but it wasn't about her. And then I wrote that we were in the Flying Wars when I met her. So he thought, <laughs> oh, he's writing about my girlfriend. Right. So ever since then, we've been on each other's shoes. And then, you know, I just said, you know what? I'm not going to read anymore. And he's like, no, you, of course you're not going to read because you're not going to read here anymore. Um, you're not this allowed. This guy had the authority to yeah. ban you? He was the host of that open mic. So. Wow. Yeah. That's fucking pussy shit. Well, you know, just it comes with it, I guess. Uh, you write about some stuff. How insecure is that guy and letting the whole world know that? Maddie actually agrees with you on that because Maddie one time got a text from him a couple months, um, about a month ago or some sort like that, where I wrote a poem, but I had already blocked him from my Facebook because I was like, you know what, if he's going to give me this shit, I'm just going to not deal with it. And, you know, she unfriended me as well, blah, blah, blah. I wrote a poem, but it was not towards her. I wasn't even thinking about her. I didn't use her name or anything, but I wrote about a guy and then I wrote about a girl and then blah, blah. And then it was very... I guess it fit the bill, and then he messaged Maddie and said, Hey, did Victor write about me again? And then Maddie goes, Well, I don't fucking know. And he goes, I feel like he wrote about me and my girlfriend. And, I'm, and he goes, Can you ask him? And then Maddie at like six in the morning, pissed off, messaged me and said, Hey, Vic, did you write about you know him? And I go, What? Dude, it's six in the morning. And she's like, Yeah, I know, but this guy's asking me right now, like, Did you write about his girlfriend and him? And I was like, what are you talking about? 
copy and paste a poem. And I go, no, I didn't write about her this time. Like, uh, why the fuck is he asking? And then, and then she goes, well, he, he thinks that you're writing about her, blah, blah, blah. And he thinks that you slept with her. And I'm like, okay, I don't know where that's rooted from, but you can tell him that I only write about people that I've spent time with in my life. And I don't think I've ever spent time with her. And so then I told her, you know what? Scratch that, tell her that, tell him this, just to piss him off. So next time he sees me, he has a reason to fucking get mad at me. Um, tell him that I only write about the women that I sleep with mm-hmm. and see what he thinks about right, that. Right, right. And he was like, oh, he really said that? Victor said that? What a <laughs> jerk. Do you what guys a- have, like, uh, did you guys have prior beef? Uh, no. We, dude, we were cool. I, I did the open mics with this him. This guy's just going through some shit. Yeah, he, I don't know. Like. He, uh, I mean, his girlfriend's really pretty. I, I can understand where he might be coming because I felt like that. We're like, you know, you meet a woman downtown and, you know, my uncle used to have this saying where... How about you take all that energy, that jealous shit, and you fuck your girlfriend? Yeah. And, no, but I, I mean, I understand where he's coming from, though, because I dated a woman once that I met in downtown. No, actually, no, I didn't. I met her in SDC first. Met her again in downtown when she was a... Uh, what do you call them? Not a promoter, but she was just there with the shots, and she was always... She, was, she worked a fancy cocktail. And, you know, I met her again there, and we started talking, and I always had this fear that I wasn't good enough for her because she knew all these people, guys, but she knew all these people, you know? She could eat, like, these good-looking guys, and I'm just a poet. These guys are doing stuff with their life, you know? They're, they're, there's a guy who's has a table almost every other night for $500, and she's there with them, you know, hanging out, taking drinks, and, you know, that insecurity settles. And I understand where he was coming from, where, like, he... He sees a, a, his girlfriend and he sees, oh, she's really pretty. She gets all this attention. She's getting asked by other guys, you know, messages and mm-hmm. all that. And I understand the insecurity, but I think he took it on the wrong person. Sure. Because he doesn't know how to counter his own jealousy. Right. He doesn't, that needs to be taught and trained. And yeah. Well, you need an old man to kind of put you in that place. And oftentimes people aren't that lucky. Yeah. Well, see, he, I guess the lucky thing is that. I'm not much of a fighter, so I always avoid fight. I've never been in a fight, believe it mm-hmm. or not. So if I ever write about fighting, it's fucking fiction. Because mm-hmm. I have never picked a fight with anybody. You've never gotten your ass kicked? No. That's good Ever. I've been threatened. Sure. Uh, but I always seem to get out of it because I make a joke out of it. Sure. I always think they're fucking with me. Like, oh, okay, he's fucking with me. He doesn't really want to kick me. There was one time in middle school, Brown Middle School, where this guy, uh, he was mad because I was dating his, his ex. Or a love interest, I don't fucking remember, it's middle school. So I was just there because I was dating two girls at the same time because one of them didn't want to date me unless his, her friend was dating me. Sure. So I was dating two girls. Of course. And like it happens in middle yeah. school, oh, I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah. All the and, and so this guy, he comes up to me and he goes, Victor, with two guys behind him, I need you to get up. We need to go to the back. I'm going to kick your ass. <laughs> and I go, hold the I haven't heard phone. that monkey brain shit since I was yeah. in middle school. I was like, oh my God, I'm about to get my ass kicked. So I was like, uh, no, I don't think I am. I haven't eaten yet. Uh, I have to go get my lunch and shit. And he's like, no, you're going to get jumped right now. I'm going to take you to the back. We're going to, we're going to jump you right now, you know, to my face. And that's when, uh, okay. Yeah. So that, so then, and then that's where I feel very like weak. Cause I was like, fuck, I don't know how to fight. And even yeah. if I did, like I had taken Taekwondo, but I wasn't, I never been in a fight with anybody. Mm-hmm. So they're going to kick my ass. And then that's when my, well, the girl that I was dating, the one that he liked came up to him and said, hey, back the fuck off. Like, leave Victor alone. Like, you're giving him shit. Like, why are you giving him shit? This is brown middle school. I don't know why. 
back then, I remember there was this conversation, and again, I'm jumping from topic to topic, but there was this one conversation. It was very awkward and weird. It was in math class. It was sixth grade, and we're sitting there in class. We were in the middle in front of the projector. The teacher was in the, her desk. We were doing our work, and then this girl looked at me and says, hey, have you had sex yet? And I go, what? Yeah, have you had sex yet? Have you had sex with anybody here? And I go, no, I haven't had sex. Would you like to have sex? And I go, me thinking, I don't know what the fuck to say to that. I'm sure. in sixth grade. I'm fucking right. 12 years old, 13 years old. I don't know how to respond to that. Right. So then she goes, do you have pubic hair yet? Uh-huh. You got that semen? And I'm like, what the fuck is that? Nobody right. gave me this talk. Like, yeah, I, 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 I was like, I don't know what she's talking about. Mm. And then, you know, I guess that innocence yeah. Kind of like she likes That's adorable. It. Yeah, it's, it's it's I think this story is going to help you get yeah. made in the future on this podcast. <laughs> and then it's kind of funny because I'm sitting there and mind you, 6th grade was an awkward phase for me because I was just coming from Lincoln and I went to Brown and in Brown it's cholos, it's you know these Hispanics who dress up with their baggy shirts, their baggy pants. I was wearing high water jeans. Mm-hmm. For those of those those of you that don't know what high water jeans are, it's essentially jeans that fit you so tight that the Sims goes up to your near yeah. near your knee and shit. Like you sure. can see your socks and you can see everything. Yeah, and white socks. Your white socks, because uh-huh. you know black socks weren't a thing. And if they yeah. were, I didn't buy them. You know. Right. And so I looked like a little nerdy kid. I always had my shirt tucked in, even if it was a t-shirt. I had it tucked in. Wow. That's had my adorable. belt. Yeah. And then my hair. I actually had a hair back then, but I had my hair before I like started doing the uh, buzz with the short hair on the top with scissors. Uh-huh. I used to have long hair where it would like comb. It was nice and thick, brown, black, jet black, and I would always comb it. And I had my comb in my backpack for whenever it got messed up, I would comb it. This is adorable. And people at Brown Middle School didn't know what the fuck to do with me. Like, they just looked at me like, this guy <laughs> came out of the blue. Where did they pick him up? Where did right. they... I'm just there, and I'm so emotional. It's sixth uh-huh. grade. I'm an emotional kid. You're a very sensitive guy. Yeah. I, I remember in sixth grade, I cried the first day that I got there, first class. In front of people? In front of everybody. It wow. was choir. And because choir was my second class in the morning. Is this and fiction? No, this is you're true. you're burying yourself. No. I love I, it. I, I remember I walked into choir and I saw everybody and I saw how scary they looked to me because I was not used to them. Mm-hmm. I was not used to their energy and I was just there and I, I, I didn't know anybody. You know, and I'm just standing there and then I just break down and cry and cry and cry. And my the teacher, the choir teacher, he goes, you know what, uh, go to the office. You can, you know, go over there. They put me in the counselor's room. My parents come in. They're explain. My mom's explaining the story of why they had to move over here. Like, oh, it's because wow. his dad went to prison. He's going to a rough time. Wow. We had to come over here. And then, you know, my dad felt bad at the time. I could see it in his face where like he... Mm-hmm. Was he in prison? He was already in prison, but we visited him, and I think at the time it was real grand. Okay. Because he would move from county to county. It was like real grand, and they moved him out somewhere really far away. We couldn't visit, and then he moved to McAllen, to the McAllen prison. They had him there for a while, and it was actually the easiest because you know it was like right next to us. Mm-hmm. The real grand one, it always felt like it was really far away. For me, that was really far away. My mom and I would listen. My mom and I, my brother, would listen to. At the time, it was one hundred four point one top. 20 songs mm-hmm. every morning mm-hmm. and we would just listen and I think that was at that time when Hey Ya by the Outcast mm-hmm. was top one for they're just called Outcast Outcast yeah. okay they were top one for or number one for about 50 <laughs> I'm sorry Victor I'm picturing you you're gonna visit your dad <laughs> in your car you're going to Rio listening to Hey Ya yeah no and no but see 
the the top 20 started when we left McKellen. Okay. So when we get there, we still had to wait in the car before mm -hmm. visiting hours would start. And that's when the song will come up. And it was top one for like 50 weeks straight. Wow. And for those 50 weeks, that's when we would go visit and blah, blah. And then after it got off being top one, it's he moved to another county. So we never listened to it again. Interesting. And I don't know. It was just very, again, sixth grade. It's a beautiful story. Yeah. And then I changed. Seventh grade came around. And I realized I have to adapt yeah. to this crowd. Mm -hmm. So I remember taking my mom. My mom used to always go uh, mall shopping. And... She, every school year she would be like, okay, we're gonna buy you new clothes, blah, blah. And I'd be like, okay, I get to choose now because I'm, I'm, I felt like I was an adult. Mm -hmm. I knew what I was looking for. Mm -hmm. My friends had told me, hey, if you're gonna go there, get this, get this, get that, buy these shoes. And I was like, great, I'm gonna put it on the list. I had a list, all right? Mm -hmm. Black and white, pencil, chicken scratch, I had a list. And first thing on the list, baggy jeans. Mm -hmm. I was like, I need baggy jeans. My mom was like, but you're third, you're, I think at the time I was like 20. 13 something it was like very slim jeans and she was like these are not gonna fit you and i was like no i'll make them fit don't worry my jeans would go down to my you know my underwear and shit mm -hmm. my shirts were baggy and then the next thing on the list i remember somebody told me buy sean john mm. you know outfits mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. didn't know who the fuck sean john was mm -hmm. but i saw his fucking clothesline so i was like okay i see it bought the first fucking thing i saw it was i think it was a button-up white by the way white with blue and gold on it and then to match it, I bought some like blaze plant plants pants like those the ones you uh, the ones that girls nowadays wear for pajamas, oh, like yeah. yeah. But this had a zipper on the side. You know they were for guys, but they were like essentially like breakdancing pants. Did were, this like, work out for you? Uh, it gave me a new image. Let's put it that way. Uh, people started noticing me. A lot of people were like, "Wow, this guy changed a lot in seventh grade." Mm. And then I became very vocal. I started cussing more. Mm -hmm. I started listening to the way they talk. And so then I went from talking very like quiet to like, to like, ah, blah, blah, blah. And I was just to say whatever the fuck I want. Mm -hmm. And then that, that, And I would like, my, essentially, I used my voice as like a vocal. Like I would dance with it a lot. Like I mm -hmm. love the way people would just talk and I would just pay attention. Mm -hmm. And that's where, why I put a lot of my poetry dialogue. But when I go up there, I fuck it up. I feel like when I'm thinking of the dialogue, I know what I'm hearing. I think, and I, you know, it's hard for me to be like, uh, <clears throat> as a guy that doesn't go up on the mic and do anything, um, I'm just a guy that films it and stuff. Uh, I always want to give advice to people. It's so easy, right? When mm -hmm. we're sitting down, you know, to see all the mistakes and everything. My only advice to you is, you know, slow down. Yeah. Just slow down. Enjoy yeah. the yeah. time. They're not going to tell you to get the fuck off. You're reading three poems. Yeah. You know what I mean? Take your time and let those words count. Yeah. And see... I think um, the reason why I got into the habit of reading really fast, and I hate that I do that, um, is because I think, what, what was, was it? I think it, it started in Senior Array or Yale Video where somebody said, hey, you have three poems, but you know it's a five minute, six minute mark. So you have to meet that time because we, we're crunched for time. So that's why I like going up first, or first or second or third, I don't, or last if I have to. Because I know when you're last, they really don't give a shit if you mm -hmm. stay up there for as long as you want. But... I try and read it really slow now, especially with some of the words because, you know, you, you don't notice it when you're in the crowd and you're looking at me, but I do fuck up my own fucking lines because I'm I reading it too. Yeah, you do hear? Okay, yeah. great. Because I, I always tell Maddie, like, Maddie, did I fuck it up? And she's like, well, you stuttered. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to read that one 
fast anymore because mm -hmm. I do stutter. Take your time. Yeah, and especially with the dialogue because the dialogue, I'm trying now to really give it more voice, like to the women, like not the same voice, generic voice for every single one. I think in one of the poems, I gave a woman a southern tone, like mm -hmm. very, oh yeah, you, she, he really fucked up. He doesn't know what the fuck he's doing, like that. Like mm -hmm. I try and give her that voice, and then, <laughs> and then, and then, like I, there, for the big one, I remember I, I was like, you know, I read that one, but in my own voice, and I didn't give her much of a personality. And now that I read it again to a crowd, I was like, I read it, and I was like, oh my god, this pimple's fucking big. Like I gave her more of a fucking tone. Mm -hmm. So now I'm actually reading with voices and all this good shit. Oh yeah. And, but yeah, slowing down. I, I, I. Oh, every time I go up there, I'm like, slow down. Nobody's rushing you. But then I feel bad, and then I'm like, oh, man, I'm reading these long poems, and I feel like people don't want to hear them. It's it's the insecurity kicks in, and then like it makes me read faster, and then I have to tell myself, don't read so fast because you're gonna fuck it up, or you know, this you only get this once every week. So I mean, what do you think about the advice of you look at one person and you're reading it to them? Um, you know, I you know, like you find a beautiful girl, doesn't matter and you're reading it to her and you want each sentence to matter and count. Two things on that. Um, one, I take that, that's why I always tell Maddie to show up there because I, when she's there, I read specifically to her, mm. you know? She, she's my vote, she's my eyes. I'm looking right at her. Mm -hmm. When there's nobody there, I never know who to look at, mm -hmm. you know? So I always feel like, oh, I don't know who to look at to make eye contact with, mm -hmm. to read to the, only that person. And that's why I think somebody, I think who was, I think it was uh, Ray, who he said, hey, we're just waiting for a crowd to show up, and then once they show up, we'll start the reading. And I'm like, dude, I don't care if we start now. I don't mind reading to five people. That's easier for me, because mm. my energy is easier. When I'm reading to a crowd, like a bigger crowd, I feel like I don't know who to look at. Mm -hmm. Now, the second thing, I'm actually writing a poem right now where I'm gonna dedicate it to whoever I make eye contact to. Mm -hmm. That's a great, so great idea. I'm gonna, essentially, I'm gonna break that poem down into like four people where like I look at one person and keep my eyes on that one person and I read it in you know to them and then I go to the next part and read it to that person go to the next one read it to that person next person that and I make it more personal for them yeah. and they think that I'm writing to them you yeah. know cuz I normally just read it as if I'm reading it to Maddie you know and now I want to I want to see what they think when I read it to that one person like I keep eye contact on that one person for the entire time I'm reading see what they think because i feel like that would be more drawing to them they're like wow this guy's writing he i don't think he's writing to me but he's reading it to me and i feel very like you know mm -hmm. i don't know if i should be like a oh, violator or if i should feel like i'm oh i'm special he's looking right at me mm -hmm. but yeah um so we need to start wrapping up okay um i feel like uh you know you're, you're completely fascinating and uh i connected with you the first time i saw you um I could, you know, I can, I'm, I'm a very sensitive person myself and I can feel people's vibrations and I can feel when they're, when they're, there are, they're going through yeah. some hard times. And I felt that with you and I was like, I like this guy, you know what I mean? And then we started chatting and JD got there, you know, we started talking, it was good stuff. Uh, and I'm always looking for a way to connect with people, to take them to another level, you know? So I started filming some standups and I put their material out there and they're like, can you take it down? Because like, I'm still working on those jokes and I'm like, why you write more jokes? Yeah. Go write more jokes. You know what I mean? Uh, this stuff is a, it's a mistake. It's art form. You're going to be growing and growing and you're going to be adapting and it's, it's not going to matter. And you know, these people, people see these things, they get 500 views and you know, they get a comment, Hey, Bobby Garza, you keep doing what you're doing. And I appreciate that. You know what I mean? That's good. Um, don't be so precious about it. It's about repetition. You know, you don't get fat 
by accident and you don't get, you know, thin and, you know, fit by accident. It's reps, you know, you got to keep working at it, working at it. And I see you do that all the time. And uh, to me, I, I know I'm late when I get there and Victor's already, he's out, he's gone. Yeah. And I'm like, shit, like I missed it. You know what I mean? So I got to get there early to catch you. And when I do, I really enjoy it. Um, let me ask you, uh, do you have something on you right now? I always carry my work with Cool. Me. So read something, you know, that we're going to have here on the podcast, read it, and then tell me how people can find you on the internet. Okay. Now, for anybody listening, I encourage you to always write. I think that's one of the reasons why I want to be an English teacher. I want, I want, I want to have a class of students write. I want to, I don't want to just teach them about literature and like finding all oh, their meaning behind the words that old writers wrote. I want them to write. I want people to pick up a journal, pick up a pen and write because I feel like that's the easiest way to get your thoughts on paper, to get your thoughts out of your head. Because I feel like a lot of people will go through a lot, but they go through it in their head more often. They, they cherish a moment that they shouldn't be cherishing. So they should put it on paper. I feel like my OCD, I have an OCD, a really bad OCD. And I found a way to cope with it. And my way of coping is writing the thought that I'm obsessing over mm -hmm. on paper. And then putting a bubble over it. Like it's in my journal, but it's just a thought like, hey, go do this. Or hey, you already did this. Write it down, put a bubble over it, leave it there. And because it's on paper, I never think about it. My OCD right. has actually gotten better. That's good. Because back then I would like have to say everything in my head over and over and over and over and over. Mm -hmm. And then I would have to do this whole ritual. And now I'm just like more calmer. I, I bubble everything and I'm just like, there, it's there. It's That's on good. paper. I leave it alone. That's very helpful. But, very, there's therapeutic value there. Yeah. But I, I always suggest for people to find something, like the shirt suggests, find something you really love and just let it destroy you because... It, it doesn't necessarily have to be a woman. It can be anything, a passion. A passion will drive you to the end of your life because my parents like, thought that my writing was just a hobby. But a hobby is something you can just pick up, throw it away later. You know, it's a hobby. It's there, oh, I'm done with it, throw it away. Never gonna touch it again. Mm -hmm. But to me, writing has never been a hobby. It's been just how I think. I see everything in words. I see every little situation I'm in as what is that poem gonna become later? Mm -hmm. And then Bella's there and then Bella tells me, hey, write it like this. And I'm like, okay, I write it. How do you know when the poetry's done? When the, when the poem's done? done? In my journal, I never know. In my journal, what, the moment I stop thinking about the poem, okay, I have nothing else to write about. And when I type it up, I add to that. And I keep adding and adding and adding. And then eventually, I never know if it's done. And then sometimes I'll post it and I'll read it over and I'm like, fuck, I could have added that. Mm -hmm. So when I go up there and read, I actually do add it. So some, every reading is very unique in the sense where like I don't read the poems that I was on that's on my Facebook exactly how it's read on my Facebook. I'll add a sentence. I'll add another thought to that. I improvise my own poems because I add as I'm reading it. I'm like, oh, I could add that real quick on the split second. I just see it. And I'm like, oh, I'm gonna add that real quick before I go up there, or I'm gonna add it real quick as I'm reading it to people. Like I'm reading a poem and I'm like, reading, reading, reading. I'm like, let me add this real quick. If there's one thing that you can tell people that haven't heard of Yerbería, that haven't gone to the open mics, or that do go to the open mics, what's one thing that, you know, what's one message you want to leave behind um, for those people that go to Mac Nights, and, and what they can get out of you, and, and what's next for the future of the, the, poet, the poetry scene down here? I, Edward's doing his thing. Edward's doing his thing with the poets. He has all the, the poets lined up. I want to make my own line of poets. I want to have underground poets, you know. I, I one of these nights, I'm going to host Mac Knight. And I'm going to, or I'm going to make my own event at Mac Knight, where I'm going to take over a Mac Knight and say it's only poetry. And I want there to be poets 
left and right reading their stuff and when you go up there don't expect that you know people are gonna like it or people are gonna hate it or people are gonna you know this and that or just read it you're doing it for you yeah do it for yourself do it for yourself first and then do it for somebody else because if you do it for somebody else and that person you know doesn't like it you're never gonna want to pick up a pen again mm -hmm. you're gonna think oh well she didn't like it I'm not gonna read it no read it if it sounds dark great read it and you'll get it out a lot of people don't want to read because they think they don't want to be thought of a different way and I feel like that's very contradicting because you hide that that part of yourself and you put a good little facade over it and you're like oh this is who I'm not but the person that's behind that that's who I am but you're not gonna see it because I'm never gonna show it to you mm -hmm. you know and then you have those moments where you implode on yourself and you're like fuck maybe I should have said something like that's right and that's why a lot of people get married nowadays and they're like I don't I, you're not like this you weren't like this when we were dating and then now I'm like you know what when I'm dating somebody I tell them up front this is how I am this is what I do this is how my behavior is if you want to deal with it then that's what you're gonna deal with definitely so, so we're, we're gonna get kicked out of here okay um, let me see okay and my only advice is just enjoy it and take your time a poem for Lydia I know I have been tough on you lately I've been drunk practically all week and every time you came to visit me I put a rift in our friendship I caused you to think of your role in my life it's not a phase, I'm afraid. It's how it starts when I push good people out from my life. And unfortunately, you stumbled in during a difficult time in my life. A personality crisis. Married in my 20s. Divorced two years later. Been in and out of 20 relationships in the last year. Doing bad readings while sober and doing good readings while drunk. Pain and suffering help to create what I call art. But given the choice, I'd never choose this damned pain and suffering for myself. But somehow, it always finds me. The drunk nights find me. The wolves of 17th Street find me. The bad times, the good times, the parade of false applause find me. You find me. And for that, I am incredibly sorry that you did. Thank you. <laughs> Thank not, you. I love it when you say that at the end. Thank you. Thank you. I never know what to say after that because I know a lot of people, they hear the poem and they're like, okay, is he done? Is he not done? I don't know what to say. So I'm like, thank you. When you say thank you, it sounds like the end, bitches. Yeah. And I, and I love and, and, that. No, and see, another reason is because I, I, I like to show them that, hey, I'm glad you guys listened to it because... Again, it takes a lot of guts to get up there and read something that you would otherwise not want anybody to read. I have my own mother on Facebook. She reads everything I write. Oh, wow. She likes some of my stuff, and she'll come into my room and say, hey, why did you write about this? <laughs> and I'd be like, because I want to write. And she's like, all right, cool. So you've been in how many relationships? And I'd be like, oh, right. yeah, yeah, okay. And she'd be like, okay. Where can people find you online? Okay, you guys can find me in, on Facebook. I do have two pages. I have a personal page where I post a lot of random shit, but I do post most of my work there. Um, and then I have my personal page, which is under the same name, but it has a different picture. Essentially, one of them is just a regular poetry page, and the other one's my personal page. What's it called? Uh, Victor Barlato. 
you can just look me up on Facebook, just like that. Uh, I didn't know what to name the page, so I just named it after myself and I was like, leave it like that. I do have a Tumblr, but the Tumblr, I rarely ever post anything, but I've started getting back into it where like I post into it regularly. Uh, I think it's Victor dash parlato.tumblr.com and that's parlato p-a-r-l-a-t-t-o yes p-a-r-l-a-t-t-o that's beautiful man thank you thank you i appreciate that